listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today we are embarking on a two-week journey called Faith, Fear, and Frustration. Somebody say faith. Somebody say fear. Now say frustration. Two of the greatest enemies to the Christian's faith are fear and frustration. Fear and frustration, those are the two things that seem to derail us and, and cause us to, to, to cave when it comes to our faith. And so I want to deal with them so that our faith can soar today. Amen? How many of you want to deal with your, your fear and how many of you want to deal with your frustration? Amen? Today we're going to begin with fear, with fear. The American Psychiatric Association, also known as the APA, they identify three specific categories of phobias. There's social phobia. There are, uh, there's a thing called um, agoraphobia, and then there's specific phobia. And specific phobia is where we get a lot of, of the known phobias, the named phobias that we have, um, like arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. How many of you have arachnophobia? Raise your hand. Um, I promise you, you don't have arachnophobia to the extent that my friend Ben Pridgen does back there. Ben, Ben, wave at me. Ben, Ben is in, the, he's running lights back there. Ben, Ben, I could go on and I could tell you story after story about Ben. Like how he left my wife in, in a church shed carrying a Christmas tree by herself because he's, he's like a little baby girl and he ran out of there, dropped the box, everything, and just ran. He's just, just, just a sissy. I mean, that's Ben's a sissy. Um, there's this thing called bearophobia, and no, it's not the fear of bears. It, it, it sounds right, but it's not. Bearophobia is the fear of gravity. If you have bearophobia, you live on the wrong planet. Um, there's one called aphibophobia. Aphibophobia is the fear of teenagers. It's a real thing. <laughs> Some of you, <laughs> you must be diagnosed with it. It's, it's not just grumpy old people, okay? It's, that's not what it is. <laughs> you, you just don't volunteer for access. We do not want you to volunteer for our student ministry if you have that. There's one called koinonophobia. Koinonophobia. That is the fear of rooms. And if you have the fear of rooms, you're in the wrong room. You're in the wrong place right now, especially with all these people. This has to be a nightmare for you. There's one called gammaphobia. Gammaphobia is the fear of marriage. And there's some of these young men in the room that have that right now, fear of marriage. Yeah. I'm just waiting to see how uncomfortable it gets because it gets that way. And then maybe you have what I have, acrophobia. Acrophobia. I have acrophobia. Acrophobia is the fear of heights. And I don't know why God made me six foot two and gave me the fear of heights. I have no idea, but, but I do. I have the fear of heights. Allegedly, allegedly, somebody say Allegedly. Allegedly, in 2005, I was too scared to jump off of a cliff at Slide Rock in Sedona, Arizona. It's, it's a legend. It's out there, okay? Um, I'm going to not bore you with all the details. Rumor has it that my wife jumped even when I didn't. It's about a 35-foot cliff, and um, I will not confirm or deny these allegations. So, But I want you to fast forward to this past August. This past August, Mandy and I traveled uh, to celebrate our 26th wedding anniversary in Hawaii, and we were on the island of Maui, which is so far out of the, the two islands we visited. That is our favorite of the islands so far. And um, 
I say so far like we're heading back soon. <laughs> it took us 26 years to get there. <laughs> I don't know. I bought, <laughs> I bought another, not this one, but I bought another flowery shirt, Hawaiian-type shirt, laid it on the bed the other day. And Mandy walked through and went, are we going back to Hawaii? <laughs> so now I've got to be careful what I buy. You know, It was just on a sale rack. I liked it. So. Um, but uh, we, we spent our 26th wedding anniversary. We were actually on the island of Maui while we were there. And one of the highlights of our trip was this day that we spent on the road to Hana. Has anyone ever been on the road to Hana? Raise your hand. Has anyone ever heard of the road to Hana? Raise your hand. If you could care less about the road to Hana, raise your hand. Okay, there we are. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Now, the road to Hana is a neat experience. It really is. Um, it, it was not scary to me. I don't mind driving on, on, on a road like that, but it's a narrow two-lane road along the coast, and for most of it, there is a, a mountain on one side of you, so there's rocks on one side, and there's a, a steep cliff off the other side. Like, you drive off it, you die, you know, that kind of thing. It didn't bother me. I mean, we were in a Jeep. I'm very comfortable. I own a Jeep. We rented a Jeep. And so... I felt very comfortable, you know, driving this narrow two-lane road. It has 617 curves on this road, 617 curves, 56 one-lane bridges. So when you get to that bridge, if someone's coming the other direction, you have to wait and you kind of alternate and, and you know, everyone is kind of respectful that way. Most people are respectful that way. It's 52 miles. That's it. One way, 52 miles. It takes you three hours to drive 52 miles one way. And then, of course, when you get there, you got to turn around and come back. But we made it over to Hana, and I didn't really know what to expect. The road was great, beautiful scenery, waterfalls, flowers, rainforest. It's just, it's beautiful, beautiful scenery. We get to Hana, and we really don't know what to do. There's not much there in, in Hana, you know. You just, you, you, I didn't even see a place to buy a T-shirt. I eventually did buy a T-shirt on Oahu that said I drove the road to Hana, but there I really didn't see anything. And... I was reminded of, through some research, imagine me doing research for a trip, uh, through some research that I had done, I remembered that there was this, this isolated, secluded beach somewhere called Red Sand Beach. Red Sand Beach, maybe, maybe you've heard of it, probably not. But um, there's no signs anywhere, no one could tell me exactly you know, how to get to this thing, there were no signs pointing me in that direction. But for some reason, I felt like we were close to Red Sand Beach. I just had this feeling. And so we, we went down this little road, a little side road. We, we parked. I could see the ocean way off in the distance, some woods over here. There was a school back behind me and a ball field over here. And, and I told Mandy, I said, I feel like we're really close to Red Sand Beach. And so we started walking towards the water, and, and all of a sudden these hikers came out of the woods. And, and I looked at them, and I said, by any chance, did, did you guys come from Red Sand Beach? And they said, yes. We just did, and, and they just had this amazement on their faces, and they said, yes, yes, it's so beautiful. It's, it, it, it's worth the risk. <laughs> just be careful. And the next thing I know, we were hiking along a trail. This time, we're not driving. We're on a very narrow trail, mountain on one side, a cliff that if you fall off of it, you fall to your death. I am not exaggerating. It was scary to me. I'm looking at my wife. Underneath our feet, there was some type of pine straw, and, and, and it, it's rugged terrain, this very narrow path, and, and I'm, I'm walking, and I'm, I, I keep turning around and look at Mandy, and I said, make sure, walk sure-footed. 
Walk sure-footed, okay? Make sure you plant your feet, know what's under your feet, walk sure-footed. Because, you know, in my mind, I'm going, the last thing I need is her to fall to her death down there. And next thing you know, I'm a Netflix documentary, you know? (laughs) And that's what I didn't want, you know? I mean, I didn't want her to die. Okay, let me clarify that. I wanted my wife. But if she is going to die that way, I don't want to be blamed for it, okay? So I'm like, be very careful. Be very careful. And we did it. It was amazing when you get there. You should Google it sometime, not while I'm preaching, but Google it sometime. Get a look at Red Sand Beach. It's pretty amazing. You should go too, but let's don't talk about it anymore because I kind of got this queasy feeling in my stomach right now. Fear, fear. Fear is the greatest weapon that Satan has to control our minds. Fear. Some of you right now, you're sitting in here and you're fearful and you don't even know it. But, but when I start talking about it, suddenly you start realizing that your life is being controlled by fear. Fear is what keeps us from fulfilling God's destiny and his call on our lives. Fear is crippling to, to, to so many people, to so many Christians And everywhere we look, people are controlled by fear, fear of their past, fear of their current circumstances, fear of their future. Some of you, you're you're fearful of commitment. Don't don't elbow him. But but some of you men, you're, you're fearful of commitment. Maybe some of you women. Some of you are fearful of being alone. For some of us, we're fearful of raising our children in this messed up world. We're fearful to bring a child into this world. We're fearful for our grandchildren to be raised in this world. I want to put your your mind at ease a little bit because the truth is we all have concerns. All of us have concerns and concerns, they're just part of life. We, We have concerns. I'm not sure that we can live a productive and healthy life without concerns. We need concerns. Concerns help us make good decisions. Concerns keep us safe and, and away from danger. That, that's what we need. We need concerns. And God is concerned about our concerns. In Psalm 138 and verse 8, it says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. How many of you are thankful today that God will perfect the things that you're concerned with? Amen? Concerns are not the problem. Concerns are not the problem. But fear manifests when we allow our concerns to get out of hand. That's where fear comes in. When we allow our concerns to overpower our faith, that's when we're in trouble. And as you turn to Matthew chapter 8, uh, just, just allow me the opportunity to kind of set up this fearful, mo- fearful moment, this, this true life experience. The disciples of Jesus, they, they've witnessed some amazing miracles firsthand. At, at, at this encounter in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 8, they've witnessed some, some amazing things. They didn't read about them. They didn't hear about it word of mouth. No, but they have experienced it firsthand. They had front row seats to amazing acts of God. In just this one chapter, please let me reiterate that. Just Matthew chapter 8, in just that chapter, they have seen some amazing miracles. They watched Jesus heal a leper of a skin condition that was so bad that he was forced to live in exile away from community, alone. All the lepers were forced outside of the city. And according to Old Testament Levitical law, 
This man was forced to wear torn clothes, and he, he, he couldn't keep his hair kept. It had to be unkept hair, unkept beard. And, and, and this would separate him. His, his appearance alone would separate him from everyone else. And when other people, according to Levitical law, when other people would approach him, he would have to let out a, a, a shout, unclean, not once, but twice, unclean, unclean. It was like double the embarrassment. Unclean, unclean. And, and the law said that he had to do that. But Jesus shows up. And Jesus touches the leper. And the Bible says that it heals him. Jesus heals him of his, of his skin condition and his quality of life is now restored. In that same chapter, the disciples witnessed Jesus heal a centurion's servant without even going to his home. Jesus just, just acknowledges the centurion's faith. That's all it is. He just acknowledges his faith and says there's not greater faith in all of Israel. And it's at that very moment without Jesus even going to his servant that his servant is healed. He didn't even have to be in his presence and he was healed. In that same chapter, they were with Jesus when, when he taught in the synagogue. And just a stone's throw away what was, was Peter's house. They go to Peter's house after synagogue, after Sunday morning worship. and or It would have been Saturday there. But, but after morning worship, they just go over to Peter's house. Probably going to grab some lunch together. And, and Peter's mother-in-law was burning up with a fever. Jesus heals her of this fever, and now in this little seaside town of Capernaum, everyone starts hearing uh, about Jesus is there, and, and, and he has the ability to heal. And, and the Bible says that, that they started bringing everyone in the little town there that was demon-possessed and that were, that, that were sick. They started bringing them to, to, to Jesus, and the Bible says that Jesus healed every one of them. Everyone that they brought to him that day, Jesus healed them. So to get away from the crowd, Jesus instructed his disciples that it was time to go to the other side of the lake, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we pick it up, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? I want you to say, Great storm. Now say it like you mean it. Say, Great storm. And say, Great calm. Amen. What a question. The storm comes up from out of nowhere. And the disciples are obviously scared. They're terrified for their lives. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And when they wake Jesus up, here's the question that he asked them. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Don't you, don't you hate dumb questions? Oh, I know some of you right now, you're like, whoa, whoa. You're, that's a little, little much, Pastor. And 
I, I don't know. I, I didn't call Jesus dumb. I said dumb questions. Don't you hate dumb questions? This past week, Pastor Scott and I, we walked into a restaurant. Don't worry, it wasn't him this time asking the dumb question. <laughs> Pastor Scott and I walked into a restaurant this week, and the, the hostess looked at us, and she said, would you like a table or a booth? Yes. I don't want a booth without a table. I mean, what's going to, is Pastor Scott just going to hold my food while I, you know. And then I return the favor and hold his for him? Do we alternate bites and hold each other's, I don't, yes, we want a table and a booth. And I know what she meant, but it just sounded like a dumb question to me. Jesus asked, why are you afraid? To men who are terrified of the storm, he asked them, why are you afraid? Is he serious? Is, is Jesus really serious in this moment? Is he asking us, why are we afraid? How else should we feel in this moment? And this experience concerned Matthew so much that he used a word that he doesn't use very often. And it's not the four-letter word that some of you would have used in that situation. He uses a word that he only uses a few other times in his book. In his Matthew chapter 8, verse 24, it says, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. And, and, and it's that phrase right there, a great storm. He didn't say an afternoon shower or even it was coming down pretty good out there. He didn't say it was raining cats and dogs. I don't even know what that means. But that's not what he said. He used the Greek word seismos. It's different. It's not just, just a rain. It's, it's, it's not just a shower. Seismos is, is, is very different than the way you would describe just an afternoon rainstorm. It, it means a quake. It's, it's a trembling eruption. It's where we get the name seismologist, who is a person who studies earthquakes, or seismograph, which is the tool that we use to measure said earthquakes. And Matthew only used this word three other times in Scripture. Only three other times when Jesus was describing the end times in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew recorded Jesus as saying that there would be seismos, earthquakes, in various places in the end times. He used this word again in Matthew chapter 27 when he said that there was an earthquake at Calvary at the moment that Jesus gave up his spirit. At the moment that he died, there was an earthquake that shook the ground. There was a seismos that happened there. And, and the, the only other time that he uses that is in Matthew chapter 28 when the ground shook at the resurrection of Christ. So there was a, a, an earthquake that took place at the death of Christ, but there was a, an earthquake that took place at the resurrection of Christ. Only four times does, does Matthew use this word. In our text today, Matthew combines the word seismos with the Greek word megas, which you guessed it, it, it means great, it means strong, it, it's fierce. And so he said it was a, a great Storm. It was a great shaking. It, it, it was a great eruption. Fierce. 
Needless to say, this storm that they encountered on the Sea of Galilee that evening, this was life-shattering for Matt and his friends. This was, this was a tough moment for them. But church, remember what I've already told you. Fear manifests when our concerns get out of hand. It's okay to have concerns, but when those concerns begin to take over and, and fear begins to show its face, when fear begins to arise, that's when we've got to get back on our knees and we've got to find the King of kings and the Lord of lords and we've got to realize that he is still God and he's still in control. Amen? These men were fearful. And in the middle of their fierce eruption of sea and sky and the worst storm that they've ever encountered in their life, they forgot who was in the boat with them. And how often do we do that? that? That the storms of life come and our first response is fear. That's the first thing that we feel is, is fear. And we forget who is in the boat with us. We forget that, that Jesus is there. We're fearful. From the beginning of humanity, Satan has used fear to consume our faith. The first fear that's ever mentioned in the Bible is right after Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the, in the Garden of Eden and they sinned against God and what he had told them. God, if you remember this, God told them that they could eat from any tree. They could eat from any tree in the garden, including the tree of life. I, can't, I don't know what kind of fruit's on the tree of life. We later find out that, that, that there's 12 different types of fruit on the tree that Revelation tells us that... that on that tree that every month it has a different fruit. They could eat from the tree of life and from every other tree in the garden, but he said, I want you to stay away. Stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only one I want you to eat from. And it's like telling kids not to do something. As soon as you tell them not to do something, guess what they want to do? And they let Satan get into their heads and he convinces them that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you're going to be like God. You're going to have the knowledge that God has. Listen, God is able to deal with good and evil. We're not capable of dealing with that. Do you know how judgmental we become? We are not capable. We were not meant to process that. But yet Satan convinced us to disobey God. And, and, and when he convinced them to disobey God and they ate from that tree, sin entered the human race. And, 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 and what did they do after intentionally disobeying God? In that moment, fear entered the human race. And in response to God looking for them in the garden, they hid themselves. Listen to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10. This is the first time fear is mentioned in the Bible. And he, Adam, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Then we turn over to the last chapter of the Bible and God once again takes us to the tree of life and it's this beautiful, beautiful description. If you ever want to read it, go to the last chapter of the Bible and it tells us that from the throne of God that the river of life, it, it flows from the throne of God and then it tells us that the tree of life, it is so big that it covers both sides of the river. I don't know if, if there's a trunk on this side, a trunk on this side, and it kind of joins in the middle. But it, it's this 
beautiful, beautiful picture of this tree that, that covers both sides of the river of life. And, and, it, and it, it bears fruit 12 months out of the year, a different fruit every month. And the Bible says this, that the fruit of that tree is for the healing of the nations. The, the fruit of that tree is for our healing. You see, when we eat from the right tree, when we eat from the tree of life, we find healing for our souls. When we eat from the right tree, we become full of faith and not fear. We partake of that. But what the enemy has convinced us to do is to go eat from the wrong tree. And when that happens, we become fearful, not faithful. The enemy distracts us with this unhealthy fear. Listen, there is a good fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom is what the Bible says. There's a respect with that, but that's different. That's different. This unhealthy fear, we were never intended as human beings, never intended to feel the emotion of this unhealthy fear. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. He didn't give us this. This is from the enemy. He convinced us to latch hold of this and to partake of it. And in the next to the last chapter of your Bible, we get the last mention of fear in the Bible in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. And it says, but those who are full of fear and without faith. Now listen, listen to me. Look at the company that these people keep. Those who are full of fear and without faith, the unclean and takers of life. Those who do the sins of the flesh and those who make use of evil powers or who give worship to images and all those who are false will have their part in the sea of ever-burning fire, which is the second death. This tells me right here that when we're full of fear and without faith, it's a serious issue in the kingdom of God. And we must not be found full of fear and without faith. Hebrews 11 and 6 tells us that it is impossible to please God without faith. Impossible. It's impossible to please God without faith. And anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You see, when you recognize that God does exist, it's in that moment that you know he's in the back of the boat. He's still with me right now. And, and you know that he is going to reward those who seek him. So all we have to do is just call on Jesus. At the moment we start feeling fearful, we have to do what the disciples did. And we have to go and we have to say, Jesus, we need you in this moment. We need you to come right now. We must be found full of faith and not fear. Because when we are faithful, that's what it means. Full of faith. Think about it, church. Fear. Fear never took a step of courage. No one is ever going to accomplish what God wants them to accomplish when they're full of fear. Fear has never taken a step of courage. Fear has never started a new business. Fear has, has never fought for freedom. Fear has never experimented for a cure. Fear has never confronted racism. And fear has never confronted bigotry. Fear has never saved a marriage. Fear has never ended an addiction. Fear has never made someone whole. But faith has. Time and time again, we hear the stories of how faith has brought healing, deliverance, how faith, and, and for some people, it was a leap of faith. It was huge. 
And people who refuse to cower down to the timidities of life, they get to see the results of faith. As Christians, we're not exempt from the storms. I think that's, that's a misconception that so many people have, have been led to believe is that once you give your heart to Christ, that, that you're never going to have a storm again, that you're never going to have a battle again. And, and friend, just listen to me. That's not true. That's not even biblical. The storms are coming. If you're not in the middle of a storm right now, buckle up. It's on its way. I'm here all week, but I'm, I'm, I'm serious. It's ludicrous for us to think that, that we're just exempt from storms. Storms are going to happen. We'll get past this one. We'll have a season where, where we recover, and then we have another opportunity to let faith arise or fear arise, one or the other. Because storms are going to come, and, and, and no one, no one is exempt from storms, but, but storms just hit different when we realize who was in the boat with us. It's just different. When you realize Jesus is in the boat with me, it is just different. Now, I want to take you to that same encounter, but I want to read one verse from the gospel according to Mark. We've been reading Matthew. We've been in Matthew chapter 8 this whole time. I want to take you to Mark chapter 4 and just one verse, one thing that, that, that Mark just points out a little bit different in this story. Not contradicting, but, but it's, just, it's just an extra detail here. Mark 4 and verse 38 says, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. That's it. Jesus had a pillow. Isn't that a great? No, I'm just kidding. That's not it. He was asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That's what they said. Mark points this out. that They, they looked at Jesus and said, Do you not care that we're dying? This storm is about to kill us. Do you not care? And I want you to notice that in that statement, they don't question his ability. I alluded to it a moment ago, but I stand corrected. They didn't forget who was in the boat with them. They knew exactly who was in the boat with them. It's Jesus. Our master. It's Jesus. It's the Son of God. He's in the boat with us. The Messiah is in the boat. They didn't forget that. They don't question his ability, but what they do question is his concern. And some of you right now, that's where you're at. It's it's your heart. It's an honest truth right now, but you're just doubting his concern. They never questioned his ability. It was his concern. Don't you care that we are about to die? And that's the problem when our concerns get out of hand because he doesn't seem concerned at all. In our minds, we just think, man, he just doesn't care. God doesn't care about me. Why would I be going through this if God cared about me? Why? God's just not concerned with my life. He's concerned with others. I know he can. I've watched him heal other marriages. I've watched him raise other people up from their deathbeds. I've watched him, I've watched him as, as he has healed some and delivered some, but, but he doesn't do it for me. Why? Why doesn't God do that for me? He's just not concerned with me, and we question his concern just as the disciples did. They knew exactly who was there. You know exactly what he's capable of doing. 
but you're questioning why he's not doing it for you. And, and when we begin to question his concern for us, we're really questioning the character of God is what's happening. We question the character of God. And this is serious. And, and so I, I just want to close this and, and just help you understand the character of God. God is for you. He's not against you. God wants to see you healed. By his stripes, we are healed. God wants to see your marriage restored. God wants to see you delivered from that addiction. God wants to see your child delivered from that addiction. Listen, you can question a lot of things about my life. Question my knowledge. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm not. Question what I know. Question my ability. I'm not the best preacher. I know that. I know I'm not the best preacher. I've accepted it. It's okay. I go to therapy for it. I'm okay. But no, I'm not. I'm just not. Question my ability if you want to. You don't want me working on your car. Question my ability to fix your car. But don't you question my character. If there's anything that ticks me off, my wife will tell you, don't, don't, don't question my character. Just don't. Because I work too hard because my integrity is the only thing that I have. I may fail at many other things, but just don't question my integrity. And he's not angry with you. But I feel like God wants you to know today, don't question his character when it comes to your life. Don't question his integrity as it relates to you. You see, you, you have tried to conform God to this word that we've created, a mechanism that, that we use that God is not bound to, and it, it's the word time. And we try our best to make God conform to that. And, and I'm telling you, God's not concerned with time. You are. You've put a, a deadline on it. But God's got lifelines. God's not concerned with your deadline. He is not bound by your clock, by your watch, by, the, the, by your iPhone, by your calendar. He is not bound by the month, by the year. God's just, he's not concerned with time. We get concerned with time, and when we get concerned with time, we start questioning God's character. We start questioning his integrity, and God wants you to know today that, that, that worst-case scenario in your eyes, in your, not his eyes, in your eyes, if you are on your deathbed and you're believing for a miracle, and it doesn't happen the way that you want it to, God says, I'm not bound by that. I'm not, I, I can. It's, it's, it's not that I'm not capable. I've done it before. He says, I'm not bound by that because at the moment you take your last breath here, he said, from that moment on, you enter into eternal life, that this life is just a vapor. So I'm not bound by time the way that you think that I should be bound by time. And just because God hasn't met your deadline doesn't mean that God's finished. Relax. Breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth, whatever you got to do. Calm down, Christian. Because at the moment that you begin to 
allow the enemy of your soul to get you frazzled, faith begins to escape and the enemy pours in the fear. The Bible says that God has given each one of us a measure of faith. I don't know how much that is. I don't know if some of you get more than others. I don't know. But he's given each and every one of us a measure of faith. And then he told his disciples, he said, all it takes is faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. That's all it takes. Faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. So I promise you, you've got enough faith. He's given you enough faith. You've got to activate that faith. And when you activate that faith, it's like adding water. It just begins to grow. It begins to multiply. Great faith only comes through it being activated. And so you, you, you've got to put all this in perspective and realize who's in the boat with you. You've watched him do it. He'll do it again. God's not done. God's not finished. And it's time that some of us put Satan in his place because he's trying right now to make you fearful. God is not finished. You'll know it when he's done. Because he says, behold, I make all things new. Everything. All things new. Every marriage new. Every addiction new. Every lost child new. He says, I will make all things new. Don't you give up hope. Don't you fall for fear. Don't, don't let your faith falter. No. Let faith arise and our enemies be scattered in Jesus' name. Let faith arise. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.